Hello and welcome again to The Dad Whisperer. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson, and you know my passion is to help dads become heroes, and it's my joy each week to bring you relevant topics that support that exact goal. So welcome again to this conversation. You know by now that the template I use every week is on your mark, get set, go. On your mark is the topic every week, the theme, get set, I fill that in so that you fully understand that topic, and then go is your action step to put your heart of love for your daughter and even your sons into action this week. Well, today I'm so looking forward to delving into, I would call them deep waters, with my guest, Mark Allen Shelsky. And he's a friend that I met probably about three years ago at a conference. We've run into each other here and there, but we've actually never gone this in-depth except for prepping for this interview today. And I know that you're going to fall in love with his heart, just like I have as a dad to a daughter and also a dad that has done some really powerful work in his own life. He wrote a book this year called The Wisdom of Your Heart. Listen to the subtitle, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. And when I read his book, I'm telling you, I immediately said, you've got to come on the program. We've got to talk about this. So I'm so excited and honored to have him here today and look forward to welcoming you, those of you listening, into this conversation. So welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, before we launch into this conversation, I want to highlight the words that you have on the top of your webpage for your book, because they are so profound. You write, now listen to this, everyone. This is the quote that he has at the top of his webpage. Your emotions always tell the truth, just not always the truth you think. That is so good. And we're going to be talking more about that today. And I think especially for men, I'm so honored, Mark, that you're willing to share your journey so that other men that may struggle in the areas of getting in touch with their feelings (laughs) will get an example from you about how do you do it? What does it look like? We're going to break it down, aren't we? Yep. We're going to break it down and make it palatable for men. Well, on your mark, I've titled today's interview, Growing Healthy Fathers, One Emotion at a Time. And like I said, you're going to hear how Mark has done this journey himself. He didn't audit the course. He took it for credit. And he's a healthier husband, a healthier father, a healthier pastor, all because he's done this hard, hard, grueling work. He's going to tell you about that today. Well, Mark, why don't we start? with you telling us a little bit about you. Sure, I'm glad to. Uh, Just the snapshot, I'm a firstborn son with all of the qualities that refers to. I'm also the adopted son of a Midwest pastor's family, a fairly conservative church environment, a fairly conservative home. Mm -hmm. I'm 17 years married uh, with an 11-year-old daughter and just this uh, last couple of weeks, 10-year-old son. You got your hands full. (laughs) We do. We do have full hands. I wear uh, three hats that fill my time. I'm the teaching elder at Bridge City Community Church, which is a small congregation just south of Portland, Oregon. That's my main gig, my main role. I'm also uh, the managing director for a small children's theater company. And then I spend as much time as I possibly can eke out writing material online and now with this book uh, to help people grow spiritually. And the wisdom of your heart, that's a part of it. I want people to have practical tools to grow and experience the life God made them for. This is why we're connecting today, because I'm just like you, like, let's get out of our heads, let's get out of theory and make it practical. So how about if you just give us a quick overview of your book then? People that are saying, okay, what's the wisdom of your heart about? Sure. Well, the book, I didn't sit down with the intention to write this book. The book is a byproduct of a long and painful journey that I have been on that I call my emotional recovery. Uh, So many of us that grew up in the church 
deeply internalized messages about ourselves and God and emotions that really are not helpful to us. And they get in the way of great relationships. Uh, they get in the way of effective parenting. They get in the way of us enjoying and experiencing the life God made for us. We've, and we've got this picture, I think many of us have, that the more spiritual we become, the less emotional or less emotionally expressive we'll be. And this is tied in so well to the cultural messages that, that men get that any kind of soft emotional expression is weakness. You are so right. I would absolutely stand with you in that. Yeah, and, that and so what that results, especially I think for Christian men, is that there's a lot of Christians and Christian men who truthfully are brittle emotionally, they're hurting or they're numb, they don't know why they feel that way. And when you look at their life, you know, they're doing all the quote unquote right Christian things. You know, they're going to church, they're reading their Bible, they're volunteering, they're doing all the things that we're told are how a Christian is supposed to live, but mm -hmm. they still are struggling with anger, they're still experiencing intimacy brokenness, where they just feel like they can't deeply connect. Uh, they, they find that when they think about their relationship with God, that phrase relationship with God is almost code because they don't sense any relationship at all. It's, it's a code for, have I done the right things today? Am I keeping up with my duties? Am I fulfilling the obligations? But they don't have a sense of relational connectedness. And, and I think this is largely because we in the church have ignored or repressed a crucial part of who God made us to be, which is our emotional lives. And so the wisdom of your heart is an attempt to help us in just that place. Mm -hmm. So the book unfolds in, in kind of four parts. The first part, uh, I share some of my story. This book is not a memoir. My story is a diving board to get us into the conversation. And I share my story of being a pastor, a person who, if you only knew me from the outside, you would think that I was a high performer. But what people didn't know was that on the inside, I was dealing with burnout, uh, painful depression, uh, experiences of pain that I couldn't handle. And this was largely about my own emotional immaturity and the fact that I hadn't dealt with some things that had happened in my life that were creating a lot of pain and anxiety for me. I just appreciate, I got, I got to interrupt and say, thank you for even admitting that. The courage that it must take, at least that's how it looks like to me, to say, I've been a pastor. I'm admitting I've had emotional immaturity. I think it takes a man who takes his mask off and admits that to lead other men that say, okay, who's admitting that? Thank you. Well, <laughs> it's, not, it's not any strength of my own. I came to a place in my journey where I was very clearly convicted that the only thing I had left that had any credibility to it was authentic honesty about my journey. And that's the place where we can begin to find healing and real connection with people that we care about and with God. Uh, so then that's the second part of the book is saying, well, wait, if I'm a Christian, I care what God has to say about this. And as a pastor and a student of scripture, I wanted to know what is it the Bible says about this? And so I dug into scripture, both looking at the life of Jesus and looking at things the Bible says about God to discover what the Bible has to say about emotions. And I discovered some surprising things. And then the third part is looking at really the best current understanding of emotions uh, of what we understand what's happening in the body and the brain right now. There's been a lot of amazing research recently that's helped us learn a lot about how these functions of our mind and body work. And for me, I'm a student. I want to get under the hood. I want to mm -hmm. understand how it works so that I can understand what's happening to me, right? And then the last part of the book is practical tools. How do you listen to this 
data that's coming in. I mean, that's what emotions are. They're, it's information that's coming in about your inner life and your outer circumstances. How do we hear that without being overwhelmed? How do we act on that in a way that's life-giving and makes a difference that's mm. positive in the world rather than feeling overwhelmed or out of control or even just numb to all of the stuff that's happening? Oh, I love it. This is, so I love that you're sharing just the overview because those that are listening that say, I don't know what to do. I think you beautifully said it, Mark, of a lot of men say, I'm doing all the right things, but there's a disconnect from what's really going on inside, which prompts me to ask you, how did you then decide to write with such vulnerability? Well, that was a part of my process of of emotional recovery. I mean, in, in most of my adulthood and certainly in almost all of my ministry, I didn't ever share with that level of vulnerability. It wasn't, it didn't feel safe to tell the truth about my inner life. And most of the time, the truth is I felt ashamed or fearful about what I was experiencing anyway. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how it would impact the way people saw me. Um, Part of my journey is that I'm highly motivated by a sense of belonging. And so if I'm going to share these things and other people are going to feel like maybe I'm not appropriate or worthy to be included in community, my belonging will come into question. Mm-hmm. And so for most of my journey, I didn't. But I came to this place where I where I was convicted in the course of my emotional recovery, where I was preaching every week, almost every week, I'm getting up in front of people and I had a choice. I could lie about where I really was and continue to build this separation between the me that people saw in public and the me that was real And I knew already the danger that that was creating for me, or I could tell the truth. And that was the only credibility I had left. And I I think looking back, it was God teaching me that this is the beginning point for growth. That when Mm -hmm. we can start telling the truth about where we're at, we can actually see ourselves truthfully. God can work with who we are. God can bring healing to us. Well, that doesn't happen if we can't tell the truth. And so the book grew out of that. And hearing you talk about the public you, the private you, and there was this divide reminds me of Jesus saying, a city divided against itself, what? Can't stand. It's like that's what happens, I think, to a lot of people. And I'm not, again, trying to just generalize to men. I know it's women too. But you're leading the way today, Mark, of saying, Hmm. here's how I built the bridge. God led to building the bridge between the public me, the private me. Yeah. And it's changed your life. Well, let me go on then to another question that I've thought about as I've read your book is that, and you just are alluding to it now about, okay, I would get up and preach every week, but you said in your book that you didn't get out of bed. Did you say for months? Yeah. Oh my goodness. And here's a quote that you said. You said the way you described what was happening is you said, for the first time since I was a child, I was losing control of my life and pain was seeping through my defenses, and I didn't understand what was happening. Can you share more about what that was actually like from the inside of you? Yeah, it it was devastating. I mean, my part of the identity that I've taken on over the course of my life is that I've always been the strong person, the responsible person, the person people could count on. And I I got a lot of value out of being that person. And, And there was something else in my journey. I didn't really know at the time how much being in control was a basis for my sense of value and security. I didn't realize how deeply rooted that was in my heart. Uh, My dad died in an accident when I was 11, Uh, unexpected. uh, He went to work one day and I never, never saw him alive again. Mm. And that trauma uh, was 
a defining moment in my life. It changed my childhood. It changed the shape of my family. It changed what kind of community we belonged to because we were the pastor's family before, and then we weren't all of a sudden. Uh, and, and so I have this thing that I think is in common with many survivors of childhood trauma, and that's that in my little heart, I decided that the more I could control the variables of my life, the less likely it would be that I would experience pain like that. And so this gut intuition that I had as a little kid, it became a habit. And right when you do something over and over again, you get good at it. It becomes more natural to you. And so over the course of my life, this kind of became a core part of my personality that I can... I can see all the circumstances and help control the variables so that everything will be peaceful and smooth for everybody. It it kind of became a cornerstone of my leadership as a pastor. I was practiced at anticipating pain and controlling the situation so that we could avoid as much pain as possible. And so when I lost that ability to do this for myself, it felt like my whole world was falling apart. My value was falling apart. All of this pain and fear that I had never processed rooted in experiences that went all the way back to the death of my dad. I mean, there was some several significant experiences throughout the course of my life that I had never really sat with and it processed and all of it swept in on me at one time. And it was terrifying. I'd never experienced anything like that before. And the fruit of it was that I wasn't able to perform in the way I'd performed before, which made me feel like a failure. And then I learned how much of my personal value is rooted in performance. And and (laughs) I fell into this place of deep depression that was really rooted in the fact that I couldn't accomplish the things that I was used to accomplishing. And so that's where I ended up in this cycle where I would get up on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday and prepare for the weekend as a pastor and do everything that I could. And I'd spend the day at church, you know, a 17 hour day, leaving everything out on the field running the script of being the very best pastor I could possibly be. And then I would make it home and I would fall into bed and I wouldn't be a useful human being, you know, for two or three days. Wow. And at that same time, we have young children. My wife is essentially a single parent taking care of the kids and trying to manage the emotional, uh, you know, emotional junk of her husband who can't handle his own stuff. It was a really heavy, dark time for us. And I'm so glad that you just mentioned the impact on your wife, because that's, as I hear your story, what I was thinking is, what impact did you, would you call that depression looking back? Would well, you I say think, I was depressed? Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Uh, for me, I mean, it was a lack of motivation. It was hopelessness. It was, you know, me kind of oscillating back and forth between sort of muscling up and trying to get things done just through the power of my strength and will. And then that's a limited resource. So running out of steam and not being able to manage myself, not being conscious of limitations, not even thinking at all about my relationships. Um, and, and so for my family, you know, that, that was very difficult. My kids were young then. Christina is mm-hmm. essentially a single mom. And I'm living out of this brokenness and weakness. So I'm short-tempered and I'm harsh with the kids. And my parenting at that point was largely oriented around crowd control and peace and quiet. You know, just <laughs> trying to get everyone to just be quiet and go away and be peaceful. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, it was very selfish. It was very centered around my needs, but that was that was all I could muster up. And and so the that place I knew that my life was not sustainable at that point. I could see my marriage heading off the cliff. I could see where my parenting was going and what relationships with my kids would look like. I could see this impacting my ministry, losing my ability to minister. You know, I could see all that heading off the cliff. And so in the book I write about some of the key moments about what began to turn this around. And really the heart of it is it took a couple of friends speaking into my life and telling me really painful truth to get me to take some action. You know, they encouraged me, 
they told me the truth that I was not going to make it through this by myself, Mm. which that's the way I've always done things. I'm a problem solver. I'll work hard. I'll get the problem taken care of by myself, by myself. (laughs) And they were very clear. That's not an option here. You, you Mm. got yourself into this place. You can't get yourself out. And so that required changes. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't help but think as I hear you talk is how I've heard people take Philippians 4, like forgetting what lies behind, reach forward to what lies ahead. But you said I had to go back to that 11-year-old experience where out of the blue, I lost my dad. Everything changed. My Mm -hmm. identity as a pastor's son. Yeah, right. All those things. How do you explain that scripture as a, as a pastor to people that say, you, you just need to forget that and move on? I don't think that Paul was talking about um, inner wellness or mental health in that passage. I think he's talking about the passion that we have to live into the life God has for us. But the problem is when we apply that to mental health, the way you see the future is really shaped by how well you've dealt with the things you've been through in your past. And so to say simply, I'm not going to think about that again. That happened in the past. The lie of that is that that is in you and it's shaping the way you think and the way that you see. And until you can face that, you're not going to be able to stretch towards the future with that clean, clear passion. You're always going to be influenced by that past baggage until you face it, until you find healing, until you're able to let Christ go into that place with you you're not going to be able to move forward. Yeah. So I think we have to see those as separate things. And I absolutely, 100% believe you, agree with you. I'm standing with you in that because you're speaking to my own story of brokenness. Mm, and right. I had to go back to the abuse from my childhood because as much as it would be like, forget what lies behind, I'm like, this is my present. Mm, right. This actually isn't my past. Right. Every day I'm living out of lies that were implanted in the wounds that feel true today. Right. And without going back and having, like you said, Christ come into them and reveal truth about who I am, about what happened, I can't get free in the present. So I agree with you. This isn't about mental health. Yeah. This is a whole different deal. Well, I would love to ask you, you mentioned that your friends basically, is this too dramatic to say they saved your life? I mean, it sounds like they came in and rescued you. How did they do that? How did you not get defensive and go, you know, I've got this, leave me alone? <laughs> well, I, I did get defensive for, for sure. I think the thing that allowed these two particular people to get past my defenses is that both of them had, in the course of building relationship with them, both of them had been very honest with me about their own struggles. Both of them had experienced severe trauma. Both of them had done a lot of personal recovery work. They didn't hide themselves from me right? They they were honest about their experience. They didn't try to be something they weren't. And so when they were talking with me, I didn't ever have an experience that they were talking down to me or that they were judging me or that they were relating some great idea they read in a, you know, a new book. They were talking about their own hard-won lessons from their own pain. They I could not dismiss them as people who didn't know what they were talking about because I knew their story. I knew uh-huh. the difficulties they had been through. And so then the second thing that allowed me to hear them was that both of them very compassionately, but very truthfully made it clear that I was facing a life and death choice. You know, I think that's powerful. And so to hear them with the experience they had, knowing their stories, knowing what they had worked through for both of them to say, you're not going to get out of this alone. I knew they weren't offering me platitudes you know, they were talking about their own lived experience. And and so when they told me this truth about the trajectory of my life, 
in my heart, I had that double experience of, of sort of the horror on the one hand of being seen this way mm. and having them really know what's going on and feeling that. And see the mess. Right. But then also the, the immediate agreement in my heart that they're right. Like this is true. And, and so those two things, I was able to hear them in a way that I was not able to hear other people, even, even in a way that I wasn't able to hear my wife. Because there's always that tension in that relationship that I want to please her. I want her to see me as strong and capable. And so it'd be very hard for me to hear her talking about my weaknesses. But these guys, I didn't owe anything to. They didn't owe anything to me. They cared about me. They were sharing out of their own story. And so I knew they weren't making stuff up. I knew that this really mattered. They were treating me as someone who mattered enough to share their vulnerability with. And they weren't seeing me as a failure or a fraud. And that was my fear that I would be seen that way. And then that would be the, the reason why I would be defensive. And so I was able to kind of be defensive, but also laugh about it and get past that mm. because of the vulnerability that they had in their own story. I don't think I would have been able to face this stuff by myself. Well, no, I know I wouldn't have because I wasn't doing it. Yeah, there you go. Proof. Yeah. I wasn't doing it. I yeah. didn't know how. Right. And in my work the past eight years with dads of daughters, I find that oftentimes they're saying, I don't know what to do, mm -hmm. not only for my daughter, but I don't even know how to do it for myself. And to hear you say, Mark, that other men came alongside you, it's showing that there are men out there that have looked at their painful past, mm -hmm. that have faced their deepest fears, yeah. that have looked within and they've come through it. They've right. lived to tell about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're one of those. And if you're just listening in now, I'm talking to Mark Allen Shelsky about the journey that he's been through that led him to write a book called The Wisdom of Your Heart, an awesome read where he's opening up about his own journey that I would call to the center of himself. Mm, wow, yes. Right? Where it was terrifying. And yet, I really believe, again, because it parallels my own story, Mark, is that's where we meet Jesus mm -hmm. in a real, authentic way that moves him from our head to our heart. Right. Right? Down into the places kind of the basement of our lives where the stuff, you know, like we do in our houses where we put boxes that go in the corners, right? you know, right. back where the cobwebs are, we may pull them out once a decade if they're old things, but yet there's so much there that needs to be resurrected because right. God's truth comes into them. Yeah. We have to look there. We have to pay attention. We have to look there. Well, oh my goodness, this time is going too fast. Okay, Mark, here we are running out of time. I have so much more of your story I want to hear. Will you stay one more time? Absolutely. Okay, we've got to Absolutely. keep this conversation going. But you know that I love to end every week, I told you, with a go step, mm -hmm. a way to put whatever's being talked about into action. And today the title has been Growing Healthy Fathers One Emotion at a Time. Can you give a practical way that men this week could, I'll say, get in touch with their emotions? Sure. I, I, I really am a giant advocate for journaling as a practice. And I know right now, the second I say that, <laughs> a bunch of men are checking out. I'm not a writer. I'm not going to sit in a coffee shop with a candle and write my feelings out. And so, and so here's, here's a way to reframe that. The key is not whether you write in a leather-bound journal. The key is that you debrief your life experiences in a way where you can get them out of your head and evaluate them. And so whether that's uh, using a app on your phone where you talk, or whether that's jotting bullet points down on a page, or whether that's a sketching, you know, a diagram of what happened, when you have a difficult conversation, let's say you have an interaction with your daughter that goes left, to sit down after the fact and, and get it out of your head. What happened? What'd she say? What did I say? What did I feel? Why did I feel the way that I felt? 
How could I have responded differently? That's the debrief, just like you would do after a business event, just like you would do at the end of a game where you say, how did that go? Why did it go the way that it did? If you don't have a mechanism in your life for reflecting on your journey, you're not going to grow. We think that growth comes from having experiences. Growth comes from reflecting on our experiences. Oh, that is so good. Okay, you guys heard it here first. Mark Allen Shelsky has brought his journey to the table. He's telling you about what he's been through. We're going to do part two next week. Today, you've heard him talk about how to grow a healthy father, one emotion at a time. If you want to go to his website, it's I'll spell it out for you. It's M-A-R-C-A-L-A-N. S-C-H-E-L-S-K-E. You can see why I spelled that out. Do what he says. Get some way this week to write out, even if it's in bullet point on your phone, some reflections about what's going on in your inner world. Pick up his book. Ask other guys to hold you accountable. You'll do it together and see that it'll affect your life and the way that you are as a father. So it's been a joy to have you here with me. You can always go to my website at drmichellewatson.com where I have free resources. Mark does too. And all we want to say together is go dad.